Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hello and welcome to Nerdette Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Seigel. I am Greta Johnson here with Trisha Bobita and Peter Seigel. Hey. We're all a little you're just, sad. You're just out. I'm just of out of it. We're all, we're all in mourning today. We're okay. sad because we're, sad. we're reviewing season six, episode five of Game of Thrones. Episode was named The Door. I know who's happy, though. <laughs> you sound really I can tell you one person who's happy. Who's that? Your mother, Mary Johnson, because, boy, did she get oh her D. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> she asked for it. There. Yeah, that was, yeah. That was real. Have, have, you, have you spoken to her since you the know, broadcast of the episode? No, I don't. Uh, she goes to bed even earlier than I do, believe <laughs> Who knew it that or was not, possible? <laughs> and so I don't think she's seen it yet. Oh, my gosh. But I do look, I do look forward to that, and that I think is, she will be excited to hear that this, That was a too. face full of D right there it for really, Mary Johnson. It, <laughs> It really was. You know, now that I have this big screen TV. Oh, just just in time. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Warts and all, I believe, is the expression. (laughs) That is so fitting this time around, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. Oh, no. Well, let's just start in Bravos then, where we saw a play... Where we can see oh, how we're history... just, just going to start with the we're D. Just we're just start, going, we're just going right there. We started with the D, so let's go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, I did think this was really interesting. Like, that play was way longer it than was. I thought we and were And I was get. watching the play, and I'm a theater snob, and I was like, well, why would anybody watch this tangled story of intrigue where there's no clear villain and there's no clear <laughs> hero and it's all ambiguous? And then I realized... Oh, oh, wait. Yeah. Sorry, everybody. I mean, it was it was almost like, you know, these people are enjoying the story just like you. It was very meta. It was extremely watch meta. people watch the story of Game of Thrones. Yes. And the deal was, this was kind of like filling in Arya on what actually had happened, right? Wasn't I that remember Arya had been there pretty much for the whole thing. She, in fact, I mean, there was a very tense moment as she watched the make-believe decapitation right, that right. reminded us she had seen, or at least almost saw, the real decapitation. So I think I don't think she was being told anything she didn't know. I think she was being forced to relive it. And I, was, I think it was interesting to watch how history has already sort of been rewritten from reality mm-hmm. into the storybook version where Ned Stark is the fool and Joffrey is actually caring for Sansa and all right. of these things that she's watching and going, oh, this is how the history books have decided right. that this is playing out. Well, remember that, I mean, if we really want to get into it, uh, remember that the story <laughs> no. as was given out to the people going back to the climactic episode of season one was that Ned Stark was a traitor and had tried to, um, what's the word, steal the Iron Throne, usurp it for himself. So this usurp is obviously it. the story that has you know, come to Bravos by the way of a third-rate theater company. <laughs> by the way, I have been in many theater dressing rooms over my life, Mm -hmm. uh, both as a professional and as a visitor, and I have never seen A, uh, that much D being wagged around, (laughs) or just beautiful young actresses standing there topless talking about their lines. It just doesn't really happen. Maybe this was more traditional in the medieval theater. Yeah, maybe not in the theaters you go to. That's true. Maybe this is why I left the theater, because there just wasn't enough (laughs) gratuitous nudity backstage. Also, may I ask, just to be a quibbler, what is Arya doing there? So there are these conversations going on, and we find out that the actress she is apparently supposed to kill, we are implied at the orders of of the topless, younger, bitterly jealous actress, only drinks rum, so she learns about this, that we can poison her rum. She's just standing there 
in the dressing yeah. room and nobody says, excuse yeah. me, what are you doing are here? You? She gets thrown a costume to clean. So yeah. I think that was maybe the idea that she's the new laundress or something like that. Yeah. Like, you know, they gave her some reason to be back there, which is why then second time around she asked for a different face because right. she's like, they, they've seen her face now. She maybe needs another face, but she's going to have to go back in as her. The thing I think is interesting about this is we're learning that faceless assassins are just killers for hire. There's no yeah. morality to it. There's no nobility to it. In the Jack and Hagar says, you know, death comes for everyone, not yes. just for the wicked. Yes. And so if you really want to do this, you might have to kill people you like or right. think are good. And that's something we haven't seen her have to do yet. What was his curtain line? Servants do not question. Yes. Yeah. They're basically just, you know, they're, if I remember, I'm trying to remember in the books, they are identified early on, long before Arya gets involved with them as like the, the premier level Assassins, you know the 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 AAA rated, five stars on Yelp assassin <laughs> service in in this world. That if you really want to get the job done, they're very expensive, but they get the job done. And we hear their backstory in the show yes. through this episode too. That they founded the city of Bravos as free men. They were former slaves and all that. So I mean, there's a little bit of exposition going on that maybe is useful going forward. But I think the most interesting thing is that Arya is going to realize that she may get hired to kill someone she doesn't want to kill. Right. This person she's sort of ambivalent about but thinks is maybe not an evil person. The next time this comes up, it could be someone she actually likes. Um, there was a slight indication of something that might come. She, Jacqueline Hagar says that you had a second chance, not a third, presumably referring to her refusal to kill uh, the insurance agent from last season and instead going after uh, the Kingsguard guy. Mm-hmm. Marin Trout. Yeah. Marin Trout. Thank you. Trout? Marin Trout? Trant. 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 Yeah, Trant. Did I say Trout? You said Trout. You said Trout, <laughs> which is way better. Nephew of Kilgore. Um, <laughs> Good one. Thank you. The point I was going to make is it seems as if Arya is being set up or we are being set up for a choice in which Arya can basically choose not to assassinate the pleasant actress. Lady Crane. Lady Crane. And instead uh, abandon the... Faceless ones, perhaps being chased by the by the character I now understand is known as the Waif. That's the stick fighting young lady. Oh, good. Oh, the other girl. Yes. Yeah. And uh, perhaps fleeing them, defeating them in some way, and making her way eventually back to Westeros, armed with her skills. That could happen. That I mean, yeah, happen. I would like for her. That's kind of what I thought of the play as doing was sort of like brewing her realization and desire to get back there. Right. You know, that and, she could actually be useful for and, the, and the And we have been dealing with Arya's, you know, indoctrination into this cult of assassins for a while, and we have yet to see her assassinate anyone mm-hmm. on orders who doesn't deserve it. And that would be a big change if it happened. And I wonder if the showrunners are going to go that way. Well, yeah, I think so much of that, too, is involved with the fact that she's supposed to denounce who she is. But it seems to me more and more likely that she won't actually do that. Yeah. And she will embrace her, her starkiness. Her star- a lot of people are embracing their starkiness left and right. So why not her? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I do think the only character who maybe has the money and the sort of uh, ability to get back and forth to Bravos who might end up hiring her and not realizing he's hiring a faceless assassin who's also Arya Stark could be Littlefinger. I was trying to figure out how does she end up intersecting beyond Bravos again and who's really sort of like in a desperate situation and Littlefinger has lost basically any like everyone who he was double crossing has now realized he was double crossing them he doesn't really have any friends left Aww. he still hasn't blinked <laughs> he did actually. Sw- you blinked. I, blinked. I watched it Three twice. Times. Did you? You counted the blinking. Yeah, and did my roommate was with me, and yeah, 
I'm, I'm glad you had help. I did not. <laughs> Me too. I was watching. I was like, is he going to blink? Also, just to pick on poor Aiden Quinn. Aiden Quinn. Not Aiden Quinn. Aiden Gillen. Uh, Gillen thank you. Um, <laughs> Trout. Does anybody in real life talk like this all the time? Um, you know who it, does? Who? Melly Grant on Scandal. <laughs> I would point out, perhaps you need to be reminded of this, real not real life. life. <laughs> it's another television show. This is just a parenthetical comment. It drives me crazy. It seems so common in film and TV these days that all dialogue is conducted like this in a whisper constantly. And nobody in real life ever really talks like this if but they like want a, to be heard. Like a furtive whisper. A furtive. There's a lot of furtive whispering. <laughs> it's very and Batman-y. It, it's a little, yeah. It's like... <laughs> And so, poor, I mean, like, you know, I'm sure if you if you said to Aiden Gillen, say, Aiden Gillen, we need you on set. He'd say, well, very good. Here I come. Or whatever his accent is. <laughs> and then he gets on set and he's like, ah, and now I shall talk like this. No, And I, I wish that once, once in some film or TV show, some actor, serious, would talk like this. And the other actor would go, what? I didn't huh? hear you. You are mumbling. <laughs> Parenthetical comment. Let's move on. Although... Are we ready to move back to Littlefinger? Have we le- are we ready to leave Bravos yeah, behind? Yeah, Town. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So now we're in Molestown, which is uh, a town fairly close to uh, Castle Black. Yes. And this now is we... the brothel that the brothers sneak off to sometimes. It's where Gilly and the baby were for a little while. I'm going to say something terrible, which is that we, <laughs> what else is new? Mm-hmm. We have been waiting again for more than a season for Sansa to finally, you know, get ballsy, if you'd excuse the expression. It's not for herself. To and... ovary up. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and now that she does, I find her kind of whiny and annoying. Oh, really? Yeah. I like her. I'm into it. She's fierce. Yeah. So if you turn her, I think is doing a good job. I think she's. I think it's good. I think the monologue was a little heavy-handed. Yeah. In the writing, but I think she's doing a really nice job with this new, like channeling Catelyn Stark thing that she's doing, where she's like, "I am the battle commander." Yeah. Well, when we met her, remember way back when she was a whiny annoying teenager who whined mm-hmm. about her sister and whined about everything and whined and whined and whined and whined. And now it seems like she's just whining about other things. Granted, she has more reason to whine. I think but, she's got plans, though. Like, she's trying to spur people into action. All right. Let us go then right to the question then that Brienne asks, which is why doesn't she tell her brother that there's this army, presumably, of the Knights of the Vale, led by Littlefinger, which, and they're sitting around talking about, well, we need armies. Where are some armies? Oh, my God, I can't find any armies. Why doesn't she say, oh, by the way? I think because she hasn't figured out how to forgive Littlefinger yet. Like, maybe she doesn't want to take him up on it. And wouldn't we agree that her not offering this significant advantage to her allies, her brother, uh, in this war they are about to fight out of a sense of personal pique, as justified as that personal pique is, I do not want to deny that she has a lot of reason to be upset with Littlefinger. Isn't that a little short-sighted and, dare I say, whiny? But she does tell them that Blackfish is there and says go get the army. She just doesn't give Littlefinger credit for having anything to do with it. Here's the problem. I mean, in this, I think you need a little geography. But let's open up our (laughs) – rewatch the credits or open up your books. I think we're going to need a a mansplaining jingle in here. Yeah. The patriarchy speaking, so ladies be quiet. Peter Sagal is the worst. Here's the problem. <laughs> River Run is not in the north. It's in, um, I think, the Riverlands. That's why it's called the Riverlands. Okay. And that is south of Moat Kalen. It's south of the north. It's south of the north. Try to keep up, Greta. And <laughs> between the north and River Run is Moat Kalen, which is the only way to get from north to south. It sort of guards the way. So the, they're going to head south trying to get to River Run, and they're going to find this the Knights of the Vale hanging around at Moat Kalen, aren't they? I mean, how long is Sansa's um, d- deceit going to last here? 
What's going to play yeah, out with I that? I don't know. I don't know. I also think that it's strange that they went from being like, we have to go save Rickon to, we'll go one by one to all the smaller right, houses. Yeah, totally. we'll get them in the car like it's a Muppet road trip. One <laughs> enjoying the car at each step. And then by the end, they're all driving I, to Winterfell. I so want them to find Fozzie Bear. Right along. I so want them to find Fozzie Bear. But loose and fancy free. <laughs> that right is along. not the, I just want to warn everybody, that is not the most unlikely other movie reference you're going to hear in this episode. <laughs> just setting you up a little bit, because I got one for you later on. Oh, good. That would be, well, to, to give them credit, now that I've criticized since, I will the say Muppets? that the oh. problem is, is that Roos, excuse me, Ramsey Bolton is at Winterfell with an army. You don't just walk up and challenge into single combat, you need an army. They don't really have one yet. They need to gather one. I do think there was one specific line in Sansa yelling at Littlefinger. Little I'm going to say yelling instead of whining. When she says... Scolding. 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 Yeah. Did you know about Ramsay? If you didn't know, you're an idiot. If you did know, you're my enemy. Would you like to hear about our wedding night? He never hurt my face. He needed my face, the face of Ned Stark's daughter. But the rest of me, he did what he liked with the rest of me, as long as I could still give him an heir. You, you, you sent me to monsters who murdered my family. You saved me, me from, from monsters, monsters who, who murdered, murdered my, my family, family and sent me to monsters who murdered my family. Yeah, I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, but she knew that an going summary. in. So, like, being pissed at him about that part. Remember they had the little moment where they were looking yeah, out at, at totally. Mount Kaelin and being like, we're heading to Winterfell to the Boltons. You decide. It's up to you, right. Sansa, if you want to go or not. But I think when I was watching backwards, because I've been doing that lately to yeah. try to catch details, it seems like Littlefinger really didn't know about Ramsay because he was Ramsay Snow, this bastard, and, and Littlefinger only pays attention really to sort of what he thinks of as important people. Mm. And Ramsay wasn't an important person until he became Ramsay Bolton and then became the Lord of Winterfell. So it seems like they had just met when he was dropping off Sansa, and he maybe could have suspected, but I don't think he genuinely knew how much of a monster Ramsay was. Well, yeah, I don't think Sansa knew either, right? I mean, that the, there was, was the some, deal. There it's was like... some speculation about this during last season as Littlefinger arranged this marriage and brought Sansa to the North for this purpose. Did he know? I remember a lot of discussion. And it's possible, as other people have pointed out, that this, these discussions in the real world, our world, about Game of Thrones have sort of leached into the writing. Like, for example, everybody last season, everybody wondered, did he know? So this season, Sansa says to him, did you know? It's possible. I mean, I, and he says he didn't. Yeah, he says I miss. I underestimated a stranger or yeah. something like that. Can, can any mm-hmm. can any of us? I know I can't. So I guess I'm asking you guys. Can can you guys suss out what Littlefinger's game is here? Remember his. And I I actually had to watch this twice. The scene ends this way. Um, she says, "May I, he says, may I say one more thing? That your uncle, the Blackfish, and those of us who don't remember him, he had the weird black Elizabethan ruffle on his neck. I don't know why. Way back in season one." Um, he has taken the castle back. He's got army. You can go get him. And she says, references her brother. And he says, half brother. Mm-hmm. What does he mean by that? What is he referencing? Is he trying to drive a wedge between Sansa and John? Is he giving a hint toward, um, uh, well, wait a minute. I'm now I'm confused. I was about to say he's giving a hint, but <laughs> it wouldn't be a hint. R plus L equals R J. R plus L equals yeah, J no, would make they're not, they're them cousins. cousins. They're cousins. Like yeah. if he had said, your cousin, then we would have known. That would have been big. That would have been big, but do he didn't think, say that. Do you think, so her uncle, 
the black blackfish, the blackfish trout, is <laughs> Catlin's brother, right? No, Catlin's Catlin's uncle. Yeah, Catlin's Great uncle. uncle. So maybe it's so. maybe it's an indication that he's not going to be allegiant to Jon Snow because Jon, as far as everyone knows, is Ed's bastard child. Right, and therefore the Tullys maybe smart. are like kind of pissed about Jon's yeah, existence. Yeah, exactly. It's true that maybe of all he, the people to not care about Jon Snow's Stark relationship, it would be the Tullys. Right, right, because they think that. Ed cheated on, and we remember their king. that Catelyn really, really did not like Jon Snow. Right, right, exactly, because he was he, a, a bastard symbol son, of, yeah. yeah, and therefore a symbol of what she thought was Ned's. Um, what's the word? Uh, unfaithfulness. Yeah, that's so, that yeah. was kind of what I had. I think. I think maybe we've, we've gotten a clearer vision of the, what he's trying. I to do. I never know what Littlefinger's up to, though. I don't know if Littlefinger knows no. what Littlefinger's up to. No, he apologized so terribly too. I thought that was just, yeah. It was just real he's, feeble. It was feeble apologies. I'm so so sorry. Repeating <laughs> yeah, it again. Sounded really I'm insincere. So, so. Just like I, he kept I, saying it. I, I I was reminded of some difficult moments from my former marriage. <laughs> I just want to say. <laughs> Didn't work for me either. Just want to say, although I didn't think I did anything quite that bad. Wet Dorn. We yes. had the King's Moot. In the Iron Islands. Um, yes. We had the King's Moot in the Iron Islands. I've I always wanted to see I thought there was going to be like challenges of strength and stuff. Yeah, I didn't I realize it was, it was just gonna, speeches like yeah. student council it was election. Kind of it was. It was like a student council election with murderers. No, yeah, homework in the like Iron Islands. I thought, I thought Euron coming out and saying, yep, killed him. Yeah, yeah. That was, You all that wanted was, to yeah. kill him. He should have been yeah. killed a long time ago. And they're going, you're on. And he, in fact, laid out um, his big plot. And this Supervillain style, really. In a way, <laughs> but he kind of had to. And yeah. his plot is he is going to go over, and this is true to the books, he's going to go over, his plan is anyway, to go over to a Marine, to the Slaver's Bay with his fleet and, uh, and join up with Daenerys. Right idea. Except I'm the one who's going to build the Iron Fleet because I'm the one who knows how to use it. I've been all over the world. I've seen more of it than all of you combined. And across the sea, there is a person who hates the great lords of Westeros just as much as we do. Someone with a large army, three large dragons, and no husband. I'm going to build that fleet, and I'm going to gallivant right over and give it to Daenerys Targaryen along with my big cock. <laughs> You're going to seduce the Dragon Queen? I'm not going to seduce her. The Iron Fleet will seduce her. And together we're going to take the Seven Kingdoms. There is a general sense of people understanding that Daenerys is the person to be with, allied with, and he's going to do that. And it's like, yeah, that's a good plan. Well, we elect you. So did you get a Yara Hillary vibe at all, Peter? A Yara, like Yara is Hillary, that like Yara mm-hmm. is this reasonable, sensible person. And instead, everybody seems to be choosing a crazed lunatic murderer. <laughs> that kind of thing. I mean, I the analogy put it falls quite apart like that, a little. But. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, speaking of which, I said something on Twitter. I'll say it here, which is that I think at this point we can throw out all uh, mappings, prior, mine, anybody else's of Games of Thrones characters to presidential candidates, and just say that Donald Trump is the White Walker Army of the Dead. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody else. Doesn't matter. Good. You good. know, that's basically it. Everybody, just keep your eyes on that thing coming over the horizon. <laughs> <laughs> I did really like when Theon was mocked for his use of the word gallivanting. Oh, that was, was very funny. Fancy, a fancy boy now. Yes, yeah, fancy, <laughs> fancy boy. With, with, and he was also mocked for other shortcomings. In, uh, in, in true uh, supervillain speech fashion, he laid out the whole plan and then sort of stopped paying attention to the people who were a threat to that plan. <laughs> And they stole his ships and ran away. Yes, they did. So, yeah, where are they going? I like to think she's going to go team up with Slowest Danny Slowest chase scene ever has just begun. 
They're <laughs> going away in ships, and he we gotta says, build some ships. find some trees, <laughs> make some planks, sew some sails. Yes. Worst chase scene ever. Oh, yes. Build he said, we're going to build another fleet. And he's like, all right. I have to say, I mean, and I don't want to criticize these guys. They have their budget. They spend it where they can. That were not a lot of people. <laughs> for that king's mood. I mean, who are those guys that get to elect the king? I know. Also, when they chanted, like, Yara and Euron sound similar enough yeah. that it was like, what's, have they, has, is there a, a sea change? I, I do think that we can say with no sense of irony or contradiction that Euron's platform is he wants to make the Iron Islands great again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually. Yeah. And also the lamest crown of all the crowns we've seen get placed on anyone's head. It's a piece of driftwood. It was, but that's, mm. you know, that's kind of cool. And, and, and I feel like a floppy fish would be worse. Yeah. I didn't say it couldn't and, be worse. Their religious initiation, <laughs> again, from the books where the, the people actually drown yeah. and then they come back to life. That's yeah. what is dead may never die. That is probably a risky way to initiate people into your church. Yeah. I'm just saying. I mean, I, I don't know what it does for, like, adding membership numbers to the old Drowned Gods but congregation. It's, it's not initiating members into the church, though. It's making them king. Yeah, I, guess I so. thought of it as sort of like if you can't survive that, then you don't get to be king. Yeah, that's true. You know, like I think that was like the the feat of physical strength, even though it was interesting that there was no actual competition. That's true. I was also thinking to myself, if I need, if like you get to be king, Peter, but you need to do this first, <laughs> I'd be like, no, thank you. I'm cool. I'm also, cool. King of the Iron Islands is kind of lame because you're just king of wet yeah, norm. Man. <laughs> I wonder if they, you know, it'd be really funny if they, if they just cut to. Some peasant in the Iron Islands go, yeah, this is like wet Dorn. This is terrible here. Let's leave. Sick of the Seattle weather. So That's my question worst. is, are Yara and Theon, where are they going? Are well, they just right, running away? Know. Are they going to go try to meet Danny I and like play out Euron's plan? Uh, that would be pretty exciting. And And remember, hey, now that you mention it, it reminds me. A couple episodes ago, the the fleet, which I didn't even know existed, over in Marine got burnt up. Which uh-huh. we think is Euron, right? Because mm-hmm. it actually wouldn't have made sense for the wise masters of Yunkai or <laughs> right. the others to do it. Because all they want is for her to take those ships and, and get leave. the hell out of town. Somebody G-T-F-O. burned them. Oh, yeah. But for whatever reason, they need a fleet. And what was that leaving for the horizon, as you say, with Yara and Theon aboard? A fleet. So who knows? Maybe you as uh, uh, maybe you figured it out that that's what we've been set up for is that all of a sudden they're going to be sitting there with the Dothraki horde of marine going, wow, horses can't swim. What are we going to do? <laughs> Here comes a fleet with Yara and Theon aboard. That could happen. That could be fun. It's time for the major characters to start interacting with each other. More. They, they already are. And hopefully we'll see that's more true. of that. All right. More in just a minute. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. You're listening to Nerdette Recap's Game of Thrones with Peter Sagal. I'm Trisha Bobita here with Greta Johnson and... Peter Sagal. Okay, so speaking of Dothraki hordes yes. and Marine, should we start with Marine? Let's go to Marine, where I think we now have is this the third priest or priestess of the Red God we've met? Like, really met as a character and not just sort of seen in the street? We've yeah. seen, there's Thoros of Mir. He was yep. a priest. There was, of course, Melisandre, as mm-hmm. I like to call Melisandre. her. Melisandre. Um, <laughs> should we do it one more time? Melisandre. <laughs> And now we have this, this, apparently they referred to her as the high priestess. 
Kinvara. Right, Kinvara, who looks an awful lot like Melisandre, mm-hmm. which we realize is probably a function of her necklace. But it does make me wonder, what if you don't want to be busty and brunette? Because there another model of, of magical Mir. necklace that you can get. Yeah, what happened if he didn't? He didn't. If if Thoros of Mir put on one of those necklaces, would he become busty and brunette <laughs> yet keep the beard? Well, I don't know. The, the thing to remember too is that we have seen uh, the other Red Woman without her necklace still look in her form. So, like, uh, let's not forget that taking it off doesn't sort of like instantly change her into the old woman or anything. Mm. Really? Have we? Oh, I yeah. thought I thought it was. No, pretty we've much... seen her buck naked, no necklace. Oh, as, yeah. as her still in earlier seasons. With it's amazing. Stannis I would have forgotten that. Gendry. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think it, it has powers, but it isn't sort of like the, the cloaking device. Right. Did you go back and watch those scenes? To... Maybe I have gone back and watched a lot of the uh-huh. first okay, few sorry. seasons. I didn't well, mean to like, call a, you out. Now that she's got a television, there's like so many things. <laughs> there's so much face acting that I missed because I just was looking at tiny <laughs> face on acting. Phone. <laughs> Speaking of face acting, Varys's Varys face acting was Varys face acting. I wrote Varys weird face. <laughs> yeah, he got all miffed. He got all miffed as yeah, we were well, having this, was, this yeah. otherwise successful negotiation. With, what's her name again? Kinvara. Kinvara. And he said, well, you're just a priestess. I don't like priestesses, presumably because a priestess uh, made him into a eunuch to be slightly euphemistic about it. Everyone is what they are and where they are for a reason. Terrible things happen for a reason. Take what happened to you, Lord Varys, when you were a child. If not for your mutilation at the hand of a second-rate sorcerer, you wouldn't be here. Helping the Lord's chosen bring his light into the world. Knowledge has made you powerful. But there's still so much you don't know. And a second-rate sorcerer did yes. that, according to her. I know. She threw shade at that sorcerer. She said she raised an issue. She said when, when that happened to you and he threw your parts into the, into the fire. And we remember Varys describing that in an earlier season. You heard a voice in the flames. Would you like to know who that was? And what they said. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. please tell us. Mm-hmm. But Varys did not. So, well, but he we just know made a why weird face. we know why weird. they sacrifice parts or blood of people to fire, and it's usually to kill other kings, right? Because right? that's what was, happens to. But, but Varys, as far as we know, as far as he knows, was a member of a traveling theater troupe. Yeah, but so. he was a, probably a bastard child. Possibly. And so, like, is that a hint at him having some important parentage? Wow. Because why would he Whoa. have... Is he a Targaryen, too? Oh, my gosh. He they're all Targaryens. A Targaryen. <laughs> it's going to be like in Battlestar Galactic where everybody is a Cylon. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> but otherwise, why are, why are his parts useful in that kind of ritual? That ritual seems to only work when it's the blood of a king or the blood of someone who you want to kill. Maybe maybe that second-rate sorcerer wasn't trying to kill somebody, but yeah. just trying to make somebody else slightly sick. Yeah, maybe it was just some second-rate sorcery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think Varys may have more of a backstory than... I also... I, I, I know this is this is a, a, a pitiful thing to point out, but I love that the fact that Kenvara, right, mm-hmm. was introduced by basically Basil Exposition, speaking in Valerian. <laughs> yeah. This is the person who was about to speak. This is what she does. This is why she is here. Now I will walk off screen. <laughs> she was announced. She was. She has nice. the, the second longest name, I think. Daenerys is clearly the longest and will always be the longest. Yes, which they introduced. made a joke about. There were a lot of in-jokes. At one point, Tyrion says, you know, b- the unburnt breaker of chains. Yada, yada, yada. The, yada, yada, yada. He didn't Basically, actually say yada, 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 yada though. He didn't say yada, yada, <laughs> but he meant it. But yeah, I think that's interesting. Tyrion is doing what he does best, which is sort of like trying to figure out how to use people who have power to help sort of secure the power he has and that Daenerys has. 
But as we know, the last time a Lannister went to a uh, person of strong faith and yes. asked for their support, it pretty much backfired completely. Well, that's because Tyrion is smarter than Cersei by, by maybe that you yeah, know way he, he. But Cersei basically empowered the the Sparrow and the what do you call his militant or the faith militant. Basically, to get them off her back, she thought, and gave them too much power. Tyrion, at least, is trying to use them for his own ends, which shows some smartness. Who knows if it will work? I mean, obviously, this is a major plot turn. There's going to be bread priestesses and priests walking around praising Daenerys. It kind of sounded like you said bread priestesses, and I liked it. That would be great. <laughs> Sorry. The I'm night sorry. is dark and There's full of gluten. There's a terrible joke about yeast infections, and I nope. won't go there. No, nope. nope. cut that, please, <laughs> nope. from the podcast. <laughs> we're not. We're not doing it. The <laughs> night is dark and full of gluten. <laughs> the bread priestesses. <laughs> yes. So somewhere near Marine, we're Dothraki still not sure exactly hordes. where. Dothraki hordes. Dothraki hordes. We have a nice little moment between Jorah and Danny. I thought Aww. that was super annoying. <laughs> yeah, me too. I was. I was afraid that I would come in and say that was so annoying. And you guys would be like, no, it was wonderful and romantic. I'm glad to know, Greta. Yeah. I think it showed a lot of maturity in the Daenerys character because what she's actually doing is not asking him to go find a cure. She's letting him leave with hope instead of just despair. Right. She's giving him something to do for the rest of his life, not thinking that he'll actually achieve it. Yes. But she's sort of setting him off on this journey with hope. Right. In a way that was very kind and very much what I think a leader should do. So to me, it shows sort of her evolution as not just sort of a teenager who's, you know, impetuous and like, you didn't do what I want, so you have to go away or, you know, just kind of using her. That's true. I guess I'm annoyed only because it makes me wrong. You may remember that in our preview episode, (laughs) I said Jorah's going to die because he's got a fatal disease. I mean, he's still going to die. His storyline is playing out and they keep putting off this moment. I thought he might die in the attempt to rescue um, her from the Dothraki. That didn't happen. And now she says, you go off screen someplace. Don't come with us. <laughs> you, I don't want you around. No touching. Man. No touching. No, no touching. <laughs> but go off and do this. Is he going to pop up again, like for the fourth time, unexpectedly? Well, he may actually go somewhere to try. The thing that he has is the most information to give the characters who don't know Daenerys the story of what's going Whoa! on right. with What if Daenerys. he met up with the Maesters and told Sam? He could end up at the Citadel thinking the cure would be there. He could end up in Bravos. We know from the story about how Stannis cured Shireen is that he called in healers from all over the Seven Kingdoms. And one of them was successful and stemmed her grayscale. Right. And she survived. A lot of good that so did we, her. We know that there, <laughs> but we know that there is a way to cure it. Right. And so if he does, you know, sort of seek out the Citadel or, or you know, people in Bravos or something, he could intersect with one of the other main characters and sort of catch them up. I just want to say that if there is a moment in this season or next where some major character, probably Daenerys, is in peril and you don't know if she's going to get saved and all of a sudden Jorah comes riding up with an army smiling like um, that pilot in the Star Wars movie that just came out (laughs) and he was like, oh, I thought you were supposed to be dead. No, I'm back with an army to save you. I will be annoyed. Yeah, (laughs) that's fair. Yeah, that would be annoying. I think he probably dies, but I think he has one last sort of plot point to achieve before he does so. (laughs) One more. I've been waiting. I I said that at the beginning of the season. I thought he was played out, but obviously I'm wrong. Well, we'll have to count how many plot points now he gets after. I mean, this already feels like. Two. Yeah. Yeah. Three. (laughs) Were you guys guys moved emotionally when he said, Tyrion was right. I do love you. No. Yeah. It was the least surprising confession of feelings ever yeah yeah i think it was nice to see dario watch that moment play out though yeah and realize that 
you know, this guy he had been sort of giving a hard time to and who he considered a rival was actually not a, like a bad dude. Yeah. Like he's a good yeah. dude. And yeah. he probably said to himself, he is the true Sarah Loverboy. Farewell, lover boy. Yeah, I know. And then they ride out. I got to ask, where did the Dothraki get those big statues of horses? You know, I was really curious about those horse statues. Someone was commissioned to do them in each of the seven kingdoms because you have the dude standing over Bravos. I was Bravos. wondering, yeah. what the, you was have it the Brandon horses? who made those too? Yeah. Maybe Brandon the Brand Builder. The who is Bran Stark? Should we go to no, the tree cave? No, no, wait, oh. just sorry. I, I have so I many things to gun. say about what <laughs> um, in the tree cave. But yeah, those big-ass statues, I think, are really weird. Really, I mean, you know, where do they get them? They, I mean, how do they hold up? I mean, the scaffolding technology. Yeah, especially those horses. I mean, the dude standing is one yeah. thing, right? That giant guy kind of at like... At Bravos. Yeah. But yeah. But the, those horses were... That's pretty intense. At really interesting, gravity-defying angles, yeah, I know. <laughs> if you will. Okay. Tree Moving cave. on. Tree cave. Tree cave. Tree cave. Tree cave. Hodor. Hodor. A moment of silence for, for Hodor, because that makes for good podcasts. Here is the other <laughs> obscure movie reference that I promised earlier. Oh, good. We have been waiting. I am sure you have, that in a weird way, Hodor's tragic moving death as he holded the door was a strange echo of a scene in, of all things, the movie Crawl. I have completely confused my co-hosts. Yep. <laughs> Crawl was a 1980s science fiction fantasy movie that is famous for both being great and awful. That for all its cheesy like special... Like you! <laughs> yes! Why I like it! And for all its cheesy special effects and terrible acting and bad makeup, all of which it has, it has a wonderful series of ideas. And one of them is that there were these people... Uh, some race of people on this planet, Krull, that sold out to the bad guy who has mystical powers. And he betrayed them and he gave them, they wanted the gift of prophecy, but instead he gave all these characters the knowledge of the moment Ooh, of their own death. That's cool. And one of these characters, just like Hodor, dies holding a door. Oh, Although in this case he's holding it open rather than keeping it closed. Mm. And it's very moving because as this guy character, I can't remember his name or even his race in the fantasy world, holds open this door, which ultimately crushes him, you realize that he has known this was going to happen for the last 20 years of his life. And that's, and, thing, and, and that's what was so heartbreaking about Hodor, is even in his dazzled or addled brain. Dazzled. I, I watched that whole sequence again because I was confused by a lot of things in it. But one of the things I saw is that as the White Walkers approached before the crisis came, Hodor gets more and more visibly unhappy. Mm -hmm. And obviously he's inarticulate. He can't say, oh, my God, I know what's coming. But there was a sense that he knew what was coming. And that's what makes it so heartbreaking. I mean, I thought it was heartbreaking, but I also really did think it was beautiful. Like, I thought it was a really beautifully executed storyline in terms of the fact that he knew this is what he would have to do. And it was to save Bran. Yes. And he has been constantly reminding himself of that to make sure he does it. Right. For a really long time. It's it's an existential question of how much Hodor knew. Obviously, the the weird psychic experience that happened in Hodor's past in Bran's present of basically taking over his brain screwed him up badly, <laughs> to put it mildly. So it's an open question of what Hodor knew, what he saw coming. I mean, certainly he did not get up from his place and start dragging Bran to the exit with the seeming full knowledge of his fate. But he seemed to know something bad was coming. Yeah, I kind of thought of it as him constantly reminding himself 
that this was what he would have to do. Yeah. And that which when I think is kind of, I mean, it's, it's super sad, but I think there is also sort of a, like a, a fatal grace to it that was yeah. kind of lovely. Which was handled really, really well. I mean, I think that if they had had a moment where Hodor looked at the departing Bran and kind of smiled in a kind of mm-hmm. sad, resigned, but happy way, like I have fulfilled my purpose, that would have been too much. But to see Hodor dying, being, I was about to say scraped, but uh, just basically nibbled. Torn apart. Yeah, yeah. that's the right word. Uh, in kind of agony was just heartbreaking. One of the, one of the more affecting With deaths a, in this whole guys, thing. not yeah. an E. Kudos yeah. to the casting directors who consistently, I think, this season have done a great job of finding the right young people to create the same emotional residence in the flashbacks that we need mm. to have for the characters who we've been watching for years yeah. and years. Because young Hodor having that seizure yeah. Oh, yeah. was as much a part of the work of making that as emotional as it was as yeah. the characters we've watched for five years now. Yeah. And, you know, kudos to them for finding that boy to play Willis and just break our hearts. You, you, uh, there was a moment in the after show special that I watched again in which uh, <laughs> Benioff talks about how they met with George R. R. Martin in a hotel room, he says. And George R. R. Martin explains all this, why, why Hodor says only Hodor, what happened to him. And he says they were stunned and amazed. I wonder when George R. R. Martin figured that out, when he first had Hodor just say Hodor, if he knew in his own writerly mind what that was about, if he, or, or if it's something he figured out. But it's, it was pretty great. So, Peter, there's a phrase you mentioned that I think is important to get to, which is you said in, in Hodor's past and Bran's present, right. which leads us to the fact that there were a lot of questions about how time played out in this situation. I brought something to help us with this, Peter. I brought my Hermione Granger time turner necklace. Oh, there it is. Hand it over here. Oh, yeah, yeah it is. It's, 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 it looks like a genuine movie prop, although it seems to be made of plastic. <laughs> I, I wish you cool hadn't handed it to me. Oh, yeah, really? so, it looks yeah. cooler from far away. So, yeah, so, I mean, obviously a lot of things happen. What does it say? It says, oh, it's got It says the stuff. It says the stuff. <laughs> um, I'm going to use this to completely redo this podcast and make myself sound smarter. Um, there is... Good which, luck. remember, you can only use that to go back a few hours at a time. Right. Which I I bring up because when it comes to time travel, the rules are really important. They have to be established in the world of any sci-fi thing. As a Whovian, as a Doctor yes. Who fan, things go south very quickly. If you don't understand the rules of time travel, you end up in a paradox. Right. And you, Marty McFly, yourself out of the picture or whatever. But it seems like what we have with Bran is predetermined paradox where it's a causal loop. Right. So, so beautiful. Bran had to kind. be had to complete his journey from everything from being thrown out that window to being dragged to the north, everything so he could get to that moment, be in a trance as the whites attacked, so that in his moment and he's tranced back to the past, he could take over Hodor's mind, destroy his life, erase his brain, except for the word Hodor, so that it all could play out. And it just makes your head spin if you think about what if he had chosen not to. But if someone has a causal loop capacity for time travel, they're not really making choices anymore. Right. Like that's got to be from the emotional element for that character. Everything he thinks of doing now he's already done if he's in back in time. So I think that he's Bran the Builder. He's the Brandon Stark who builds the wall. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Slow down here. What? (laughs) So now that he knows he can go back in time and do things. Right. And that he already has. What else in the world of the show, in the presence of the show, was caused by... Oh, you're thinking that they're going to... I mean, and and Trish is obviously making a reference to the fact that the wall itself 
was built by a now legendary figure in the distant past whose name is Brandon the Builder. Yeah. About whom we know very little except he built the wall through some magical means. So you're suggesting that Bran is now going to go gallivanting through the past. I don't gallivanting, think so. Nice, I said nice it myself. Gallivanting. <laughs> me no, and, I think me he and, is. Lot, lot, that's like the one thing that Theon, Theon and I have in common. <laughs> the use of the word gallivanting. Fancy words. <laughs> Fancy words. Um, that's it. That's all. I just don't buy that because I think that that would be a not consistent with what we've seen of Bran's ability so far, which is that he's able to go back to the past to observe it and on very infrequent and highly emotional moments influence Actually the mind of someone it. who's there. And it also would be just such a weird outcome for all of this. If it turns out all to be a, like a time travel, it's, I won't say deus ex machina, but it would be way too neat. So I would be... That uh, would be a big word. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Talk about your fancy words. I don't see that happening. Obviously, I could be proved wrong, but... Fair enough. I, I don't I think, think this is ultimately Bran a time travel story. and the children story. of the forest build the wall and build Winterfell, and that's why it has sort of like magic in it. Yeah. Because that's it's not the size of the wall that keeps the White Walkers out. There's some sort of magic akin to the magic that was keeping them out of the tree cave. And that fire. And yeah. so the children of the forest, who we learned, also let's not forget, we learned that the children of the forest made the White Walkers. Mm-hmm. Yes, which was foolish and <laughs> we certainly don't see a lot of gratitude from the white walkers as they no, approach as they as they meet up again with their magical parents the children of the forest they don't seem grateful for this in fact they seem rather hostile i do think that it's fair to say that bran is going to do some crazy awesome things in the coming episodes, right? I mean, whether or not he has, he is the guy who has built the wall or, you know, the other theory going around is this cold hands thing. Have you heard about that, Peter? Remind me. So the idea is that Bran becomes cold hands, who is a character we haven't seen in the TV show yet. Yeah. Cold hands, if I remember now in the book, is a character who appears way, I guess, from our perspective a couple of seasons ago. He's sort of this strange, magical creature who seems like a former member of the Night's Watch. Yeah, I thought he was Benjen. Appears riding an elk mm-hmm. and escorts the our, our heroes, our younger heroes, Bran and company, to the, the Weir Tree to meet the Three-Eyed Crow. And he did not appear in the TV series. Mm-hmm. So maybe he'll come back. All I can say is that uh, I've mentioned this before, that there's a terrible tendency in fantasy works to stop and explain everything in the past. Mm-hmm. I think, for example, I used I used Star Wars once. Another terrible example is how in the last Harry Potter book, we find out all the stuff about Dumbledore that we didn't need to know. Mm. You don't need to know this stuff. Just stay in the present. Let's work out our issues in the present dramatically through present action and not worry about like, oh, how did that happen? That's just dull to me. Yeah, but like you, it's fair for you to say that. But then what about R plus L equals J? I mean, there are still a lot yeah. of things that happened in the past that we're very excited to this see is how true. they turn out. Let's just you know? say that we're going to have to find out some things that happened in the past because they form a part of the mystery of the background, but exactly. not everything. I, For yeah. example, I don't care how the wall was built. I don't want to know that. I don't need to know that. The wall is there. We know why it was built. So let's just move on. The White Walkers are coming. There is a wall. They might get through it. It's a problem. <laughs> the White oh, Walkers are coming. Can I just, because I, I did we watch parts of the episode, the sequence where Bran goes back in time by himself to the now dead Weir Tree and sees the army of the dead and then runs into the, to the Night King who grabs him is a great sequence of filmmaking. If, if you have a chance, watch that again. Just the... The way in which he walks through the army of the dead and they don't notice him and then all of a sudden they do is quite terrifying. It was well done. They used the director who did a lot of the most time travel-y confusing episodes of Lost to direct this episode. Interesting. I think in part specifically because they knew they needed to navigate so much of that back and forth in time. 
and it's it's difficult to do. It can often sort of seem ham-fisted when they when they try to sort of cut back and forth from the present to the past to different locations. But it worked really well in both of the scenes. I think when we were going back in time, except that it feel like they've they've wasted sort of some time in the flashbacks of showing us things that we didn't necessarily need to see. Like it, it like feels for like there's example. well, if if the three eyed raven knew everything that was going to happen to Bran, which it seems like he did. He wasn't right. surprised. It's like, are right. you, it's time for you to become me. Am I ready? No. Like, but he's not upset I about th- it or anything. He Why seemed, did he waste he so seemed, much time showing him parts of things that like don't matter to us as the audience as much? He seemed to be taken by surprise by Bran. I keep wanting to say warg. That's not right. Trancing himself back into the Green past. Green seeing? Maybe, yeah. And running into the Night King and giving away their location and somehow through some magical mistake allowing them entry into the tree cave. He seemed to be surprised by that. We now now know that the rule of time travel is no touching. No touching. (laughs) I love it. No touching. I did write down for that scene, Peter, that you especially admired, weird zombie terror in all caps. I feel like that summed it up pretty well. Um, it was terrifying. It was pretty scary. It was um, weird zombie terror. It was I feel weird like it, zombie I feel terror. like it's pretty self-explanatory what it means. A bunch of questions that I still don't know, which is how did Amira manage to kill that White Walker with her spear? It was obsidian. It was. The dragon glass they got from Sam Tarly. Oh, and they made... Thank you very much, Oh, uh, yeah. All I needed Trisha to know was through. ask you. So they got dragon glass from Sam Tarly at a mm-hmm. prior point, and she made a spear out of it. Yep. And it works. It sure does. Did she keep the spear? I don't I think so. so. They gave her a bunch of pieces of it, so she should have some. I did notice away. that the, in that flashback, the children of the forest did make the, we presume, the first White Walker by stabbing him slowly yeah. with an obsidian dagger. Yeah, what's that all about? Who's that guy? He's yeah, the Night King, right? He might well be the Night King. It is the same actor, thousands in fact. And thousands of years old. <laughs> it is. Yeah, the Night King and that guy are the same actor. He really? You check the credits? Yeah. Trish is good, man. You are good. Trish is good. Maybe <laughs> too good. <laughs> So, voicemails. Yes. In a moment. Okay, so Peter, we're going to play this one. This is just like a super quick excerpt. Okay. Um, But I just need you to hear this. Okay. Hi, I'm Brian. I'm calling because Peter got it wrong. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) It's good, right? (laughs) What specifically, may I ask? Wouldn't you love to know which specific? There are so many possibilities. (laughs) I know. I kind of feel like we should just save that, like a like a patriarchy jingle. He sounds so so frustrated. He sounds sounds determined. (laughs) It's like if this voicemail doesn't work, I'll have to go there and tell him myself. I know. Brian, what thank specifically you so much for does that. Brian think I got um, wrong? That was about Melisandre and the fact that she had said those same words to resuscitate that other person, right? And that, oh, that you had been incorrect about that, which yeah, you were corrected on Twitter. I was corrected too. on Twitter. Basically, to sum up this very silly thing, I said that <laughs> Melisandre did not know that the resurrection of the Sir Barry, as we like to call right. him, had worked That's or how it, it happened because she wasn't there. And as people pointed out to me on Twitter during the sequence, oh, what, four seasons ago where she visits um, the Brotherhood Without Banners and takes Gendry away, uh, she is told in great detail by Thoros of Mir how exactly he did it. So although he wasn't there to witness it, I was 
technically correct. I was wrong in that she certainly knew what had been done, what had worked, and therefore imitated it. Well, in any case, a delightful voice, Mel, yes. if you I just, do you, say so can, Maybe you should just make that your, um, your, your cell phone ringtone. ringtone. Yeah, that's a good idea, actually. <laughs> yeah. Peter and got it wrong. It's Gendry's in a so boat somewhere. Speaking of Gendry, oh, yeah, yeah. that was still another in a question, question we got. Still it would be really funny. I hope they do this. If we if we f- go back to Theon and uh, Yara in their fleet, it'd be funny if you see a shot of them, fl- you know, sailing across the narrow sea, whatever and, like, plan they're doing, and they just look down and there's Gendry rowing. rowing? Look at him, and then they look back and continue their conversation. Fantastic arms. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh you know what else we forgot to mention? The absolute hilarity. Of Tormund, Giants, Bane, and Brienne <laughs> yeah. is getting so funny. I do at this love point. them so. It's, and then if she even says, and that guy, Tormund, Giants, yeah, Bane, what's guy. up with that guy? <laughs> she also called John Brooding, which was pretty lovely. Also hilarious. Really good. Yeah, well, he has reason good to. Brienne. Yeah. Good Brienne lines in Okay, so um, speaking of Jon Snow and Brooding, actually, here's another voicemail we got. Hey, guys. So last week, you talked a little bit about Jon Snow's new like man bun, which I also find hilarious. Um, but when I saw it initially, I thought it a callback to the way that Ned Stark used to wear his hair um, before his unfortunate end. And I wanted to know if you thought that that was maybe a foreshadowing if Jon Snow was going to assume Ned's role as, you know, the justice keeper and the leader of Winterfell, that sort of thing. Great podcast. Love it to death. Keep doing great things. I like to call this the man bun the theory man bun of theory. Stark. Yes. It's possible, I guess. My guess is is that they they just tied his hair up in a bun. Well, you know what Trisha pointed out earlier, which I think is significant as well. Which is that in the flashback when we see young Ned Stark in this episode, his father also has a man bun. <laughs> so, so it's it pretty is the way. good. So that's that the like patriarch the patriarch of the Stark household maybe, wears their hair. I was I was about to accuse the caller of overthinking this, but maybe I am underthinking it. Kinda we now good, have right? three data points, which makes it true. Yeah, <laughs> it's a trend. It's like a triangle. It's a trend. <laughs> um, we have one more voicemail, which is about town, which I think is useful because we didn't actually see anything. No, from nothing town happened. This Although, week. according to the uh, upcoming, you know, next episode, we're going to have a lot of town action next so, year. So, yeah, this is a good conversation right. to have then. Hi, this is Christina from D.C., and I have uh, one question. So if Cersei goes ahead with the trial by combat, can Bernie Sparrow pick the king to be his champion? Because that would kind of get take care of the, uh, the prophecy really quickly. Just wondering, love your show. Have a great day. Can I just say I love the fact that we've now established yes. he's Bernie Sparrow. Yes. <laughs> Bernie Sparrow. I just love it. I, so the, the theory here is that... It would be Tommen versus the Mountain. Wow. Which would be Cersei misery, but I kind of love it, right? I don't understand the rules of trial by combat other than I have seen, what, we've, we've had two or three of them. Two, I think? Braun versus... Braun versus the guy the in the guy veil. In the and uh, uh, the, the sad Martell late... Martell versus Martin. the Mountain. Right. I think that you don't get to name somebody against their will. I think they have to volunteer. What if there comes like a certain games. set of manipulations where Tommen is willing to volunteer for the High Sparrow? It's so, hard to picture, but I feel like it could be kind of cool. <laughs> I, uh, th- that, that would be the kind of, of – I, I don't want to dismiss this, this caller's idea because I know there are lots of theories out there and they're fun to talk about. I just don't think that's the kind of cheap storytelling that these guys would get involved in. I think that's a little too easy. Well, then okay. your champion is this bizarre large automaton. Mine is <laughs> – your son. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> mother. Oh, no. What do I do now? That doesn't seem very Game of Thronesy. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll see what happens. We shall see. With, from the next on, it certainly looks like the army 
is about to take on the Faith Militant. Yes. We've got Jamie on a horse looking ready to go. I think it'll be fun. Should be good. And we've and have we got reached the moment that we saw in the trailer for the entire season where, where Cersei says, quite chillingly and fun, I choose violence. Oh, we haven't heard her say I'm that yet. I'm looking forward to that. Maybe soon. Yeah. Okay. Well, we really want all of you good listeners out there to join the conversation as well. You can ask us a question or suggest a topic for us to discuss on an upcoming episode of Nerdette Recaps. You can do so by calling us at 312-948-4687, or you can tweet at us. We are Nerdette Podcast, and he is Peter Segel. I am. I will be probably next week. Especially if you find that he is saying something incorrect, like, <laughs> let us know. You know, we appreciate that. You can ruin my day and make theirs. <laughs> exactly. Listen to us wherever you are. Keep in mind that the regular Nerdette shows come out every Friday. We've been talking with Queen of the Internet, who I think would win in a King's Moot. Mm-hmm. Felicia Day yep. on a recent episode. You can listen to that in the regular Nerdette feed. Keep listening to Nerdette Recaps Game of Thrones here. We would love it if you took the plunge and subscribed or followed on NPR One. Give us some stars if you're feeling generous on iTunes. Yes. Thanks to Wombles, Mr. Molitor, and Batgirl was a librarian for their kind things they said to us on iTunes. I did not give you any stars because I'm lazy, but I will say here that everybody should listen to uh, my good friend Nerdette's interview with Dan Savage. Yeah, my that was a fun one. That yeah. was a great one. Yeah, thanks. He was cool. pretty fun. He is also king of the internet, I think. He is king of the internet. That's true. And it was really fun to hear Greta talking about taking her mother, oh my who loves the D. Yeah, I guess that is an appropriate tie over, actually. <laughs> a porn film festival. Yeah, that was a highlight happens. of my listening life. It happens. <laughs> Find that at nerdatpodcast.com. This show is produced by us with help from our WBEZ cohort, especially Joe Dassault and Robert Anderson. Thanks also to our interns, Maya Cole and Seabrin Mallard. Joel Meyer is our executive producer, and our theme music was composed by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. I'm betting you $1 that Bran builds the wall. One, I will take that buck? bet. Is that illegal? I don't think so. Is it illegal? Let, let Are we going to start like a Game of Thrones betting? <laughs> <laughs> the betting market. I'm taking that bet. I will be happy to pay you a dollar if Bran ends up building that wall. All Can right. I just watch that? Yep. Happen? Okay, cool. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.